episode 75 of Coffee and Co-Read, your source for all things literary, with Catherine and Kristen, where we believe there's nothing better than a hot coffee and an awesome book. Join us for our virtual book club where we take one book a month and dive into all the drama, adventure, and romance we can find. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Kristen. So, it's new book month. Woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, our book for August is A Kingdom of Flesh and Fire, the second book in the From Blood and Ash uh, series by Jennifer L. Armand Trout. Um, we did, um, From Blood and Ash earlier this year, I think in February? Some time ago. Uh, and... April. Oh, April. Not that that long long ago. (laughs) At all. No. Uh, But we're saying to heck with it and we're doing the next one. Yeah. I feel like, I know for me, if I leave too much time between the books, I'll like just forget what happened in the first one. Because I've only read the first one once before we actually did the podcast on it. So I I don't know everything enough. And I'll be honest with you, there are a lot of bloodlines and hierarchies mm-hmm. and theories and there's a lot going on in this book. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. If we leave it too long, especially this one to the next one, yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah. Because there's just so much to remember that I just can't. So yeah. I think we talked about it last time, but there's a possible seven books, according to Goodreads, in this series. Um, She also does have another series that is related to it as well, um, that currently has two books with a third book due out in December. Um, The fifth book of actually this series from Blood and Ash came out um, a month ago, July 18th. Listen. (laughs) Math is hard. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we did get into that last time, but it, it, it's worth repeating because there is obviously quite a few books in this series and I know that I got overwhelmed on book three cause I waited too long between reading them. And by waited too long, I mean, they came out and I read them. Yeah. As they were coming out. Yeah, basically. But I had forgotten what happened in this book while I was reading the third one and was confused. So, yeah. I just, I find, I'm going back to it, I find seven an odd number. Harry Potter. (laughs) Right! Right! Forgot about that. I don't, yeah. It seems odd, like, I guess one of the first series I did read was Harry Potter, and each book was a year. And that was really, like, now when I read series, I find it weird when... It isn't, like, a a chunk of time, like, a year or something like that. Because, like, literally this book ends and the next sentence is the next book. Like, it yeah. is immediate. There's no one yeah. between. Um, which I just find, like, it, I find it a bit weird. Because I think about, like, like, TV shows, too. Like, they end yeah. on a season finale. There's often time in between before the next one. Yeah. Well, it's almost like... Why bother ending the book if you're just going to start the new one right exactly where you left off? Which 
I find she does that in chapters too. And like Sarah J. Mass does that in chapters where she'll like end a chapter and then the next chapter is immediately something important. And obviously yeah. Lee Bardugo did that kind of a bit in the last book, except for she jumped characters, so it was yeah. different. Yeah, I, yeah. And I know it's a way to keep you reading, but I'm always like, curse you! I hate ending. <laughs> I hate, like, when I'm in bed, I hate when I stopped reading. And I could have just kept going, and it's the same scene. I'm like, I, I just want some closure, but I also want to end on a chapter. <laughs> yeah. I know, who... What kind of monster doesn't end on a chapter? Yeah. Like, who would who would end a reading session mid-chapter? See, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Are you that kind of monster? It depends. But some books, they have, like, um, in the chapter, they have, like, that little symbol that's, like, mm-hmm. I'd end there. Because that's actually more of an ending sometimes than the chapter is. It's true, yeah. So sometimes I prefer to end there because I'm like, at least it clued something up. (laughs) This is a bit of a tangent, but yeah. It's fine. Yeah. So yeah, so both of us, I think, actually really responded to the From Blood Nash book. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember I liked it more at the end than I remember liking it. Yeah. Although I think the first one when I read it, I really did like it. I, yes, but I think then I got so, because for me it was the same thing when I read the second one. The second one, I I did really like it, and to this, like, as of right now, I do think that the second one is probably my favorite. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Um... But I think the same thing, like, because I ended up stopping around, I think I got two thirds of the way through the third one. Mm-hmm. It sort of colored my opinion of all of them. Yeah, I get that. And then when I read From Blood and Ash again, I was like, oh, I, right. I, I do really enjoy this book. Yeah. I, my issue with this book, specifically the second one in the series, is the entire time I was reading it, I was like, if you guys just had a fucking conversation and admitted your goddamn feelings, none of this would happen and I wouldn't be so angry. But that's like all books. I know it's all books, but it still annoys me. And I know (laughs) if I were in this situation, I would never tell anybody anything about how I'm feeling. So, like, I don't even blame them. I'm just annoyed (laughs) that, like, we're in her head and we're like, you can tell what he's feeling. Stop. Talk about it. Well, yeah. Yeah. We'll get into it. We will. (laughs) And maybe it won't be so annoying. Like I said, I've only read this book once. So I don't even really remember a lot of what happens um, at all. To be honest, I, I kind of remember the ending, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Fun times. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I guess we're going to get into it. Just a heads up, we are definitely not a spoiler-free zone. <laughs> and things might get saucy. Yeah. So this week, we're reading chapters 1 to 11 um, of A Kingdom of Flesh and Fire. We did finish the first book. Uh, like we said in April, um, I, I hope that 
you've read the first book, at least, if you are <laughs> listening to this. Uh, I, I don't really want to get into a full-on breakdown of what happened in that one. But basically, at the end of that book... Um, Cass- it was a great cliffhanger, to be fair. It was. And I did, like... That was in the times where I had to wait for the next one. And it was like, why? But luckily, we pick up exactly where it ends. But Castile proposed to Poppy-ish in a room full of people. And I'm like, this was a bad call. Um, He didn't even really propose, though. He was just like, we're going to go back to, we're going to go back home so that we can get married. Yeah. He was basically just like, we have to be in Atlantia to get married since we're Atlanteans. So we're going back there and we're getting married. And she was like, wait, what? What? Wait? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And basically that's exactly where we pick up now. Uh, Castile is telling Poppy that they're going to get married and she's like, maybe this is a stress-induced hallucination. (laughs) 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 I'm like, that's fair. (laughs) Yeah. Um, she also starts to wonder about the princess nickname and like if he knew more than he was letting on. And it's very similar to um Akka Math, I guess, where Reese was putting crowns on Feyre, and you're like, This is interesting. Very interesting. Yes. Although, like, they kind of get into it this week. I don't think I think he called her princess because he was very attracted to her and taken by her. I don't think he actually thought that they were going to get married originally. No. I mean, I think he just, I think he, I think he wished for it. Yes. Soon after, like, you know, I think he felt the pull. Yeah. Of there, of, you know, I think he felt attraction and felt the pull there. And I think he, in fairness, I honestly feel like he's just like, pick it at any kind of straw to sort of get <laughs> them to marry because he just wants to marry her yeah yeah he That's like manifested what... it <laughs> yeah That's what my heart is telling me <laughs> um which is so funny later on like we can see it from her point of view anyway she can't tell anything um yeah so Poppy's obviously currently in shock and Castile asks her like what part of this is confusing which is just so <laughs> condescending like asshole yeah. what do you mean what part is condescending it's like maybe ask her first instead yeah. of just telling her yeah she's literally like the part where you think I'm gonna marry you like, <laughs> <laughs> and like he teases her a bit and she like is flat out saying she's not gonna marry him but he's like not upset by it at all. No. Also just feel like this could be a private conversation or they could have like <laughs> given her a heads up. It's just, you know. Um one of the people down the table, Elijah, laughs and is kind of like what's the plan now? Like the original plan was to trade her for your brother, like now you're marrying her, like what the fuck is going on? That's yeah. a big departure from the regular plan. Um, what? <laughs> yeah. Marriage was not the original plan. Not to shock you. <laughs> uh, but Poppy's just like sitting at the table and she, she notices like she has a real knife. So she kind of like slips that away so that she can keep it. 
Hmm. Um, and she is even like, yeah, I thought you were going to trade me for your brother. Like, what is going on? And then another, I think this guy's a Wolven. And I might, I might have that noted later. But anyway, another guy who I think is a Wolven goes on a bit of a rant. Um, he says, like, all of these people followed Castile to save his brother. And, like, some even died. And now they have actual leverage to get his brother back. And they're just going home. And... He even, he does go on again to say, like, the people on the wall, so, last book, which was yesterday, I guess, um, not earlier that day, it can't be the same day, could it? I think she slept in between, don't really remember. Doesn't really matter. Within the last the bodies are hours, still The bodies are still up on the, on the wall. Yeah. So, within the last 24 hours, Poppy was attacked by Castile's people because they wanted her dead, which doesn't make sense which we talked about last time but like they're trying to use her why would you kill her but they blame her for everything that the ascendants have done and basically kieran ended up saving her from them um and then castile murdered them all and hung them on the wall uh, so their bodies are still there. So Landell basically says, like, they deserve to be there because if they had killed her, the leverage would be gone, which is literally what I just said. Um, and now Castile wants to marry her. And he, like, clearly just sees her as leverage. He's very confused. And, like, Poppy can feel the disgust when he says, like, marry her. So it's <sighs> it's not great. Um, Kieran tries to tell him to stop talking, <laughs> but Castile asks him to continue. And he mentions like, he mentions Elijah who just laughed and Elijah's just like, nope, don't bring me into this. He said, <laughs> he's like, I just laughed and said stuff when I shouldn't have, but I'm, I'm with you no matter what the plan is. Yeah. And Landell is like shocked and says he'll never choose her. And she won't bring their people together. And the Wolven will never accept her. So he is Wolven, yeah. And he says, nor will the people in Atlantia. And she's an outsider and the enemy. And um, she's also, as we've already said, not accepting his (laughs) proposal for marriage anyway. And Landell says, like, she's never going to bond with Castile. And marrying her will be the kingdom's downfall. And he'll never choose that scar-faced bitch. (gasps) (laughs) Which is awful. And obviously she flinches at that because it's... That's a terrible thing to say. Yes. And she like reaches up for her face because that's where her scars are. But it's like... I almost wish she didn't. I know she, like, is a bit taken off guard, but I'm like, she's so strong and stoic. It just seems a bit out of character for her to, like, flinch at this as much as she does. But I I also feel like she's let her guard down in the past, like... Yes. You know what I mean? Like, Like, and I know that she was, like, attacked not that long ago, but, like, in terms of... She, like, grew up feeling really self-conscious about this... Like, not self-conscious about the scars, but, like, she was ridiculed for the scars all growing up. 
And then Castile slash Hawk sort of like made her feel comfortable in her skin about them and was like, you don't have to wear the veil. Like, yeah, you know, you're beautiful. Like the scars are a part of you and they, you know, show how strong you are. So I think like being judged about them by this new group of people that she sort of thought wouldn't care maybe. Yeah. Maybe. And like, I get, yeah, it is different because she is, she's not used to being in groups of people and people actually talking to her or really about her out loud. It's normally like whispers and shit. So yeah. And like, it sort of came out of left field. Like um, she's getting proposed to and then all of a sudden some guy is like verbally attacking her. Yeah, it's not great. It's a hard day for her. It is a hard day for her. She's going to become a princess so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Landell does say he'll see her dead before he stands by. And you're like, oh, that was dumb. You idiot. That was a smart move. Um, Castile is like out of his seat and gone before she can realize what's happening. And then he's right beside Landell pulling him up and like, a throwing dagger falls from his hand and you're like, oh, he was literally going to throw that at her and kill her right at dinner. That's interesting. Um, And then Castile says, like, he was fine with the questioning, but he's not fine with the insults or threats and he won't forget or forgive. And then he pulls out Landell's heart with his bare hands and asks if anyone else has anything to share. As, like, Landall's body just slides down the wall and his heart thumps to the floor. And you're like, okay. (laughs) Clearly no one's going to say anything now. (laughs) Uh, He just casually walks back to his chair and says um, she probably thinks that that was excessive. But he doesn't think it is. No one insults her and lives. And at least he gave Landell a quick death. And she's kind of like, what the fuck? You just pulled his heart out. (laughs) It's a bit intense. It was very quick, though. It was, yes. And Castell then tells Poppy that there's no side of her that he doesn't find beautiful, which we kind of just said. And it's also a callback to, like, the first time he saw her unveiled in front of the Duke. Um... And she, she kind of hates how it makes her feel because she wants to hate him, but his words and actions still affect her. Kieran then asks Poppy if she wants to go back to her room and she calls it a cell because she isn't free, but she's like, it's at least it's a nice cell kind of thing. <laughs> but it is true. It's, it's like she was in a cell her entire life and now she's just back in one and we're acting like it's okay. And by we, I mean, we're not, but they, yeah. So she goes to actually leave with Kieran, but Castile catches up with her before she has a chance to, like, walk out the door. And he asks her to fight him later, but they're about to have company. So he asks her, like, to behave. And then an older Wolven shows up. Um, He asks what in God's teeth happened here. And... <laughs> It kind of shocks her because he sounds so much like Victor that she's like kind of put off by it, like a bit surprised. 
Yeah. Um, we get that his name is Alistair, and he sees the bite mark on Poppy's neck, because um, she almost died when she was attacked, and then she had to... Oh, no, no, no. She had to drink his blood then, but he drank her blood mm. while they were having sex, and he was recovering yeah. from being stabbed. Yeah. So, two separate instances. But clearly, he knows that Castile bit her. Um... And he says that things have obviously occurred since they last spoke. And Castile tells him that his relationship with Poppy has changed, uh, but that she's about to retire. And then, like, she kind of goes quietly with Kieran. Like, he has to push her on, but they do leave. She passes the men in the hallway that have been, like, stuck on the wall. And... She, when she sees Mr. Toulis and thinks of, like, the third sons and daughters that are taken by the Ascended, she does, like, accept that Castile was telling her the truth. And, like, we kind of already got that last book, but basically the third sons and daughters are given up as babies to the Ascended. Um, and they all think that they're being given up to, like, live as acolytes in temples when really... They're yum, yum, yum. Yeah. Which, like, I want a bit more information on. Like, are they just, like, letting them grow up? Or do they just kill the babies? Like, you think you'd want the blood to replenish? But you also Mm. would think that they would want a full-grown person. Yeah. Like, instead of, like, and I'm saying, I'm not trying to be a super (laughs) creep when I say this. But, like, you would think that, like, you would need like two to three babies yeah to have a meal when you could just let the person grow and then have a full you only need one to have a meal yeah exactly it does yeah it it is interesting which is why i kind of want more information i'm like do they just keep them there and let them live so that they grow more blood (laughs) um sure. Uh, So Poppy then asks Kieran about Alistair and he's apparently the advisor to the king and queen and he's basically like an uncle to Castile and Kieran doesn't think he would do her any harm. It isn't in his nature, he says, despite like he does have a large scar on his face, um, which Poppy noticed because obviously she has a scar on her face. Uh And then Kieran asks her if she feels pity for Mr. Toulis, who basically ran away with his wife and child instead of giving up his baby, which is fair. Um, But then he was part of the attack on Poppy because he wanted revenge against the Ascended. And, like, it's not her fault. But he was kind of like, she stood by and didn't do anything. Like, what could she really do? She can't dismantle a system that she doesn't even know is in place. Yes. Preach. <laughs> Kieran does call Castile Cass in this sentence. Oh. I just thought it was important because it's hot. <laughs> um, Kieran then like whirls her around and smells her. And he's like, she's like, what the fuck are you doing? And he says that she smells different. And she's like, if you say I smell like Castile, I will murder you. And he's like, well, you do, but you also smell like death. Yeah. Which is interesting, and I don't really remember this. I, yeah, I, yeah, no, I got nothing. 
Okay, cool. Um, so she's confused, but they basically just like keep going, and that is it. <laughs> and I'm like, That's the I'm last sure we hear of it for a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure it comes up again, but I don't remember it. Um, so they keep walking to her room, and like he says that she had said she didn't feel any sympathy for the people that are on the wall. And she says that hasn't changed, but she does feel pity for Mr. Toulis. And he says, like, pity for the family is fair, but, like, not for him. He made his own choice. And she's kind of shocked that he feels pity for the family because she really didn't think that, like, he was capable of that. Um, That Kieran was capable of pity? Yeah, or feelings in general, which is just kind of rude. Yeah. Uh, He realizes that that's kind of what she thought. And she just says she doesn't know many woven. So like she didn't think that he would feel that way. And then she she realizes how shitty that is to like assume things about him because he's part wolf. Mm -hmm. And she does kind of apologize. And she asks him after that, like, if the death tonight was normal. So, like, not the guys on the wall, because obviously that wasn't a normal situation, but, like, tearing out Landell's heart. And she says, no one seemed to care. And he says, it's not rare um, that, oh, no, sorry. He says it's not. It's kind of rare that anyone would actually question Castile. And part of the reason is because he isn't afraid to get his hands dirty. So, like... People wouldn't usually question them because they're afraid they'll die, which is, like, not a great way to rule, but sure. Um, He does say, though, that Cass was right to kill Landell, and Landell could have easily used his dagger to kill her, and he likely won't be the last that Castile's going to have to kill to kind of protect her. Um, Which would make me feel like a piece of shit. Yeah, it. I can't imagine it feels great. It's also wild that, like, within the first few paragraphs of the book, he pulls someone's heart out, who is, like, one of his followers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it's the trope of, like, he'd kill for you, and it's, like, obviously not romantic, but it is definitely a trope that is problematic in real life. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's just one of those things where you're like, in real life, you know that you wouldn't, if someone killed for you, you'd be like, oh shit. Yes. But, it's like Mr. Right. Yes. <laughs> Except for he wasn't killing for her. But, God, I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like, in real life, you know that, yikes, no. Yeah. But, like, you can't help but, like, have your heart go do a little pitter-patter when you're reading about it. You're like, aww! He loves her so much! Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Poppy says that everyone seems so full of emotion one second and then, like, apathetic the next. And he asks her about using her powers on them. And she kind of like starts thinking of her powers in general and of the first maiden and how she was told that the dark one killed the first maiden. Um, and how like, she kind of wants to know what happened to her, but she says like using her powers on somebody is a, is an invasion of their privacy. 
but he tells her it'll give her an upper hand, which she really needs here. And he knows of no Atlanteans that can, that like have powers like that anymore. So it's rare. Yeah. Well, now that they figured, well, I say figured out in quotes that Mm -hmm. she's an Atlantean. I think they're trying to put her in a box of what they know about Atlanteans and like, she may be Atlantean, but, like, not like any Atlantean alive. Yeah. Um, Kieran also tells her that, like, her power could help her with Cass, and he thinks, like, neither of them knows the truth of what's happening, and it's, like, super, like, foreshadowing and telling, but then he doesn't actually tell her what he means by that. <laughs> He's so uh, cryptic, Kieran is. I know. <laughs> But he asks her then if she believes, like, everything that Castiel said. And we also get that, like, apparently the gods that we heard blessed the king and queen in, like, their history are actually the gods of the Atlanteans. And in actuality, they are asleep right now. Um, So they aren't, like, interfering in the world. Uh he asks her why she's fighting so hard to go back to the Ascendeds. Cause she's, she is refusing to marry him, all this shit. And she's like, she's says she's not fighting to go back to them. She's just not agreeing to marry Castile, which is fair. Yeah. And that he's lied to her continuously. And she also thinks like, She's really stuck on the original plan of him ransoming her for his brother, which is obviously not surprising. Uh, But, like, the marriage part just doesn't make any sense in her brain. So she just assumes it's all, like, an elaborate lie and that he's just going to eventually ransom her off. So she's trying to get away because of that. It's not because she wants to go back to the Ascended. But she's not going to tell Kieran that. Or anybody else. (laughs) uh kieran tells her that like castile did earn his nickname the dark one because of his deeds but she is likely the only person in the world who doesn't need to fear him which is cute but she obviously doesn't believe it i love it so much So she's back in her room and she starts to think about like what Kieran said and she thinks about Castile killing without remorse and then she kind of remembers like she's done that too and she was prepared to do it again with like Jericho and the other men that attacked her so she shouldn't really be shocked by his kills. I think hers were more in self-defense in that situation. Yeah. And like she did kill kill Lord Mazine out of like anger and revenge but like that was also different in a way but she's relating to him so that's good (laughs) she does know that she like has to fear Castile though um like Victor's death and many of the innocent ladies that were killed by his father by his father by his followers sorry on his behalf it's like not his fault directly, but indirectly all those deaths are still his fault. So like she yeah. can't really get past. 
And he also knows how much she wants her freedom and has like always wanted it. And he has her in a cage again. And like, that's something she really can't get past, which is completely fair. Yeah. Well, like he's really the only one in the room that has seen firsthand what she, what she dealt with, like in terms of what her life was actually like. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it is wild that he's just caging her up again. Yeah. Um, so again, she kind of thinks he's going to use her to get his brother back, which makes her think of Queen Ileana. And I think we've said it in the past book, but like the queen was like a mother to her after hers died. But if Castile is telling the truth, which she believes, then she's the one that branded him. And she also like perpetrated the idea that Craven are controlled by the dark ones and made by atlanteans when really they're made by ascended and just to induce fear in people to make sure that they would keep following them since they're the only ones that can protect her so like obviously she is part of the problem yeah and it's but it's like when you know without a doubt the somebody's character and then to hear somebody else say well no to me in my mind they're like this Mm. it's really hard to reconcile those two things yeah definitely yeah um it makes her wonder if the queen knew that she was half atlantean and what about her brother if he even is her real brother like does he have any atlantean blood or what's going on there (laughs) she knows that if she does end up going to atlantia she's never going to get away from all of them because there will be so many people around her so she needs to escape sooner than later and get her brother and they'll hide out together and she kind of thinks like there's no way that he's evil and if he is evil ascended and like no feeling anymore and all that shit she knows that she'll have to save him from the nightmare and basically kill him which is sad, but, like, she knows that she she needs to know either way. And yeah. if he is, like, a terrible, not person, but, like, if he's turned bad, then she knows she yeah. needs to know that he's died. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense. So she kind of, like, yells out to see if anyone's outside of her door and no one responds. So she assumes that no one's standing guard. So she picks the lock with the knife that she grabbed from the kitchen She grabs her bag and, like, anything in the room she can find that's useful, but it's all just clothing. (laughs) And then she just leaves. She does wonder if her, um, her dagger that she got from Victor, which was woven bone handle and a bloodstone dagger, is still in the stables. But she knows she can't really afford her freedom or her brothers to, like, go check. She doesn't really have the time. So she sneaks into the woods and then runs for a long ass time. It seems like forever. Um, Her plan is to go to Whitebridge, which is south, and then go with a group to the, like, to the capital from there to get her brother. Her first step is to get her brother, basically. Her Uh, only step. Yes. Well, she does talk about, like, living somewhere else on the outskirts where people won't recognize her. And you're like... How is she going to get that? I just don't understand how she thinks she's going to get that far, like, 
getting into the capital, getting her brother mm-hmm. and getting out and not being recognized. How does she think she's going to get out of the capital once she's there? It's not a great plan. She also doesn't have any food or water, but let's what let her dummy. live. <laughs> she's also like, she's thinking like, maybe she could convince the people in this town that she's on her way to that she's the maiden and then get them to take her to the capital. But then she hears twigs snapping behind her getting closer and then she sees Kieran in his woven form and he's just like standing behind her and she tells him that he's gonna have to force her back and like she will fight him but that's when Castile shows up and says that she's gonna have to fight him (laughs) so he offers her a deal and gives her one of his swords and says like if you if she can win against him he'll let her go And if not, she's going back. And, like, obviously it's a very unfair fight. He's an Atlantean. He's super fast. Like, there's no way she's going to be able to beat him. Yeah. But, like, she kind of realizes partway through that, like, it's likely to get her anger out and make her docile, almost. (laughs) Not really docile, but, like, you know what I mean. Um, He then tells her how dumb this plan was. Like... No food, no water. It's winter. She was clearly going to die in the woods. It gets super cold at night. She really didn't think this through, which she didn't. So they start to fight, and he says that like she can argue or fight him, but he won't let her put her life in danger. And he was working on making sure that Alistair wasn't a threat when he had to come here and basically get her. She obviously knows she's no match, so when he goes to, like, knock her sword away, she gets in front of his blade so that he has to pull back or actually hit her with the sword, which is, like, a really ballsy move. Like, he could literally kill her. (laughs) It'd just be so funny if he just But, like, imagine, like, this is what I don't understand. Like, she has so much trust and faith in him. Yeah. Like, shouldn't that tell you something? Yeah, but she thinks that it's because she's leverage and, like, he needs her. I guess. In, like, a leverage way, not in a loving way. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, he obviously has to pull his sword back because he doesn't want to kill her. So, she kicks him and slices for his chest and he basically tells her he's impressed. And they keep going. Um, and she knows that, like, he's allowing this, but even if she wins, he's not going to uphold the deal because she realizes she would have died in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) So he asks her if she ran because he frightened her tonight, which kind of distracts her. And he grabs her from behind and, like, holds her to his chest and, like, disarms her by, like, making her hands spasm. And she elbows him and punches him in the face and then sweeps his legs. And, like, she looks at him. And he disarmed her first, but she got first blood. So it's kind of, like, as much of a draw as you can get. Yeah. Um, he says she doesn't need to fear him. And she says she doesn't. And she, like, tries to get to the sword again. But he grabs her and pins her on her stomach on the ground. And it's, like super hot as all of their fights are their fights are basically like foreplay and i love it yeah 
and violence very much turns Castile on, especially from her. And he brushes his teeth on her neck and she's loving it. But like, she's also telling him that she is not loving it because she doesn't want to. Uh, so she like pushes him off and like gets super frustrated. But then she notices mist and she's like, what the fuck is that? And he's like, Craven. And she's like, oh, oh no, <laughs> I didn't think there would be any here because all of the ascended from the keep were killed and he's like that is dumb (laughs) which is fair yeah but it actually like really kind of pisses him off because he's like she was leaving she had a kitchen knife she had no way to kill these and she would have just like walked right into their path if he didn't show up so she (laughs) would have double died yeah Um, but now obviously she can get one of his swords, which are bloodstone and he has the other one and he pulls her into like a super hot and heavy kiss and tells her to make him feel incompetent and kill more than he can. And it's a pretty hot moment, but she's just a little bit in shock from the kiss. Um, (laughs) it's cute. I like it, but the Cravens start coming towards her and they're emaciated and the dissenters have been keeping them away. So I guess they haven't had as much to feed on as they normally would. Um, but they, they're still fast and they still have fight in them. Yeah. And she thinks of the obviously of the obvious lie that she was told by the ascended, but the dark one can control Craven. <laughs> Cause like, it'd be super convenient right now if he could. <laughs> yeah. They have a bit of a, like, Lord of the Rings moment where he says six, and then she's like, four, now five. And, like, he's super teasing to her. And it's just a cute moment. I know. I love the moments when they're fighting, and it's like... Yeah. They're pretty cute in them, even though they're both killing people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... They end up killing them all, of course, and he says he was hoping to save her, but he knows, like, she doesn't need it, which I do love that she is, like, a strong, independent woman. Yeah, I I know, like, it it makes it better knowing that he does save her, but she doesn't always need him to. Yeah. And she tells him here that she was once bitten by a craven, and he's surprised but she says it looks just like a claw mark and it was on one of her legs but she never turned which is interesting because last book we had a big conversation about this because we were like doesn't he know that she was bitten but apparently he didn't know until now um so the gifts that she had and not being affected by a craven bite are all atlantean traits so he he realizes, like, if he had known she was bitten and didn't turn, he would have probably put it together that she was part Atlantean. And likely that's what happened with the Ascended. Like, when she went back, they were probably like, oh, shit, you were bitten and didn't turn. Right. Yeah. Um, but he kind of just says it doesn't matter if he had realized before, like, they would have ended up in the same place. Like this would have happened anyway. And she's like, yeah, she's like, at least she's telling the truth. Cause like, she's really like, thinks that 
that he's going to sell her for his brother. So it's like that, the fact that this would have happened anyway just kind of makes her sad. You're like, I just want to shake her. I want to shake her. But like, but honestly though, his plans only changed after he found out she was Atlantean. Yes. Or part Atlantean. So, like, if I were her, I would be suspect, too. Yeah, 100%. Uh, She kind of actually admits to herself in this moment that she would have died if she was alone. (laughs) Obviously. And they start kind of walking back. But she tells him, like, she's going to try to run again. And she is not going to marry him. They do make it back. But she's freezing and tired and, like, she had to leave her cloak there because uh, Craven had fallen and died on it. And, <laughs> which is just so awful. <laughs> but when they get back to her room, Kieran is in there and Castile tells him about the Craven attack because he's like, what the fuck took you so long? Um, and then they plan to go get some men to go burn the bodies and... Poppy is surprised he's going out again and she feels like it's something that Hawk would do but she's surprised that like a prince would actually go back out and like deal with the bodies um but he's he's like that he's basically the two people shoved together there's duality to him we're starting to get (laughs) what wait what people have more than one side to them no people are complicated not at all (laughs) what (laughs) So they both leave and Delano is guarding her door. So she goes to take a bath and she thinks about like how really stupid it was to run away without a plan. But she was so desperate to find her brother and get away from her like attraction to Castile that she wasn't thinking straight, which we kind of know. Um, but she knows like it's going to be impossible unless she starts getting supplies ready and like if it's not winter when she tries to run, because winter is yeah. a bad time for it. Yeah, winter's a bad time for us all. <laughs> it's true. Unless you live in Australia. Yes. Then it is summer. Um, so she gets in bed, and she sleeps for about an hour before Castile comes back. And she jumps out of bed with her knife as he, like, walks in the room. And she kind of thinks, like, oh, maybe this is his room. <laughs> And he calls her adorable for, like, standing there with the knife. And then she throws (laughs) it at his head. But he, like, of course, avoids it. But then he catches it by the blade and obviously cuts himself with it. Because, duh, why didn't you just let it soar past you? But, you know, he had to be like, I'm so fast I can catch a flying dagger. Um... But she kind of is like, it's the second time she's drawn blood tonight. And he's like telling her she's so violent. And of course, he it turns him on again. And she tells him there's something wrong with him. Which is probably <laughs> fair. Uh, he goes towards the bathing room. And he tells her in Atlantia, they apparently have running water. And like it comes out of a faucet and it's hot. So... It's very much like water that we have, but she immediately thinks he's lying and he starts to take his shirt off and she asks him what he's doing, but he's like, I'm getting a bath. 
this is my room. <laughs> and he tells her, like, he can't realistically have someone stand outside all night, so he's going to be staying in the room with her. And he takes his pants off, too, and she, like, wants to look away because it's improper, but she also, like, wants to look at him because he's so attractive. <laughs> it's like a fight with herself. Mm. Um, he, like, he gets in the bathtub, which is, like, she's already been in it, so it's used water. Blech. Yeah. I don't love that part. And, like, they were bloody and sweaty and gross. Anyway, not getting into it. I guess, too, we're coming at it from a place of privilege where we haven't had to... Like, I'm sure there are people in the world that do have to share bathwater. Yes. On the regular. True. Yeah. But one would hope that they wouldn't be full of craven blood and... No. But yeah. We are very privileged in our ability to have fresh water whenever we want it. Yeah. Um... So he's in the bath, and he can kind of read her mind and knows she wants to get the knife, and says, like, that's why he didn't bring his swords into the room. And he starts telling her, like, how Atlantia is different. So apparently all houses there have electricity, no matter the wealth of the people. And, like, he says, the Ascended created the rift in wealth that is in the capital and in Macedonia. Um, so that there would be so much infighting among the people that they wouldn't turn on the Atlanteans. Yeah. Not the Atlanteans. The Ascended, sorry. Yes, yeah. And, like, it's it's smart. It's, like, what people do, which is unfortunate. Yeah. It's the same Oh, it's with, a like, genius. It's genius on the part of the Ascended. Yeah. It's, like, monarchies have done that and stuff. Like, any... Yeah. Yeah. Um, she counters like Atlantia has its own problems because they are apparently running out of land. Um, so that after the battle, they kind of retreated and they gave up a shit ton of land and now their population is growing, but they have nowhere to go. So like, there are a lot of issues there too. Uh, he's out of the bath now and he just like puts on a pair of pants, but no shirt. And she comments on it and he says, like, he starts teasing her and says that some of the best conversations he's had didn't involve clothing. And she says she's sure he's had a ton of those. So, like, you can kind of tell that she's jealous of his experience, but, like, he's been alive thousands of years. He It's just another, it's, uh, the thing that bothers me, though, is, like, it's that trope of, like, he's so experienced and she is so innocent. Yeah, virgin trope. And, like, I get why she's a virgin. Like, I can almost forgive it a tiny bit more than I normally can when somebody's a virgin. Like, they were basically forcing her to be a virgin. Like, she didn't really have much choice. But it is still, I do hate that trope of, like, he's been with hundreds possibly thousands of people and she's been with him yeah um he kind of says like maybe they should talk later but she tells him like the marriage isn't happening so there's no need to talk about it later and he asks why she ran and he's like is it because of the marriage and 
you're like, I, I tell him about get, your brother. I kind of get frustrated at both of them in this part because it is like in her head, everything is about her brother, and in his head, everything is about his brother. But like he can't realize that she feels the same way about her brother than he does about his brother. Yeah. But I feel like it's because like he's like. How can she feel that way for her brother? He's an ascended now. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, like, we're not even a thousand percent sure he is. No. You're correct. But even if he is, she wants to go and kill him so that he's not stuck as an evil person that is against who he would want to be. So, like, I don't know. I feel like he should be able to empathize with her in this, but he absolutely cannot understand. Um, he then get he tells her that Atlanteans sometimes have middle names and they only share those with like their family and their closest friends. And he says that his middle name is like after his mother's brother, Hawkthrone, and <laughs> only his mother and brother call him Hawk. And it kind of tells her that like. Hawk is a real name for him. Like, that entire part wasn't a lie, or it wasn't, like, a persona that he put on, or, like, he didn't kill someone and take over their name. It actually was a name that he goes by. And he tells her that Kieran chose his last name, Flynn, which just reminds me of um, Tangled. Flynn Rider. I don't know. Mm, I just can't get past that. I think I talked about it last time, but... (laughs) She um, she asks if he's telling the truth, and he says he is. And she kind of thinks of what Kieran said earlier, and she decides to use her gift to, like, see what he's really feeling. Yeah. And he's feeling a bit of discomfort, but he's also feeling, like, his ever-present sadness that he always feels. Uh, and he tells her he knows that like knowing hawk was actually a part of him matters to her and she asks if he can read minds <laughs> because like he's we so... spoke about this too though because like in the last book he was he did seem to like have an idea about like her thoughts and stuff yeah remember yeah yeah but he says that he can't oh so, it is interesting. Um, so then how does he know? Yes. In your part, we'll get that he knows because of how she smells. Everything she's thinking, he knows because of how she smells. Which is not true. Uh, it's impossible. Anyway, whatever. Uh, she tells him, like, he still lied, even if Hawk is actually a part of him. And now she's his captive, so it doesn't really matter what his name is. She still doesn't have freedom. And he tells her he hasn't lied since she found out who he was. And now he won't lie anymore because he has what he wants. Her. Aww. Like, I guess he is very, he's very honest with the fact that he wants her. <laughs> but... That could also be, like, he wants her as leverage. He wants her to use. But, like, we all know what it means. Poppy just doesn't know what it means. Sexually! Yes. He tells her that she can ask him any question she wants, and he's going to tell her the truth. 
And the first questions that come to mind are like, if he ever cared for her or if any of what they've shared was real, but she doesn't want to be that vulnerable. So she just asks him if he killed the first maiden. And he's genuinely surprised by this question. And he tells her like, he doesn't even know if there ever was a like a first maiden or anyone else that was called a maiden. He he kind of thinks that it could be made up or it was well before his time. So he definitely didn't kill her. But he does say that he's killed many people, specifically ascended, but he's also killed mortals who helped them. And he brings up in the first book, there's a scene where um, Poppy and Tani are in... Um, a room with two ladies having tea and they're talking about the dark one having killed a lord and like infiltrating his house and killing them all basically something like that and he tells her that he did do that and he used like the lady of the house would have affairs and would like invite people in to have an affair with her and that's how he got access but he never did actually sleep with her Um, she also got away because she ran away, but he says, like, he would have killed her if he could. Um, and then he also says, like, he's responsible for some innocence deaths as well, like Rylan and Victor and, like, obviously inadvertently Victor, but also the ladies and anyone else that died by, um, yeah the dissenters like he's taking some responsibility for that which is kind of what she wanted um and he says like if another maiden did exist she was likely used to keep the atlantean alive to turn ascendants uh so atlanteans can't live without atlantean blood he says they can survive but it he wouldn't call it being alive which is interesting and we don't get many much else into that. So I'm like, does that mean that they would just be so like emaciated and still alive? Kind of like the Craven were like, would you be so out of your mind with thirst that you just would be, I don't know. Do you know what I think of? Hmm. Uh, that movie, remember Underworld, yeah. where the three leaders, like, one is awake yeah. and rules, and then the other two are asleep, and they're all drained of blood, and then they get yeah fed blood, and that's how they wake up. Yeah. I guess the only thing is, like, they need to have, the Atlantean that is changing the Ascended needs to have blood to change them, but... Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. I don't know. Basically... For the Ascendants to continue turning Ascendants, they need to have someone with Atlantean blood to feed to the Ascendants, and then someone with Atlantean blood to feed to the Atlantean, is what it seems like. Yeah. But, like... So, really, they need... It's almost like they need two Atlanteans. At a time, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, we don't know what she would have been used for. Like, she could have been used to feed um castile's brother or she could have been used to make more atlanteans ascendant ascendants yes ascendant. i don't know why they both have to start with an a yeah it's confusing yes uh so 
he kind of gets into like why they only planned to use her now because she says like they were waiting for her ascension um and he tells her about atlanteans culling is what they call it basically at 19 they develop more power and that's where like castile developed his ability to use compulsion and she's kind of like wait you have compulsion i know that but why haven't you used it on me before but he says like he's not that kind of monster and compulsion can only be used for like immediate gain like it doesn't work long term and it doesn't work on ascendants kind of like her power doesn't right and he says he thinks it's because ascendants don't have souls (laughs) um but he also tells her basically that like she's gonna be 19 soon and it was gonna be her 19th birthday where they would have a giant ascension but her blood wouldn't be like useful for them and wouldn't be atlantean until she turned 19 and went through the culling so they had to wait until then so it kind of makes you wonder if castile's brother is dead if like that's why they stopped all the ascensions up to this point or if he has no blood left and he needs Atlantean blood. So it's like one of the two likely. But I also have no idea. This is yeah, this no. is theorizing. Um, so she asks if she'll get fangs or become immortal like other Atlanteans. But he says like both are unlikely. Most half Atlanteans just live and die like normal mortals. Um, but like where she does have mortal blood, she could become a vampire. So she asks, like, how vampires are actually made, and basically a mortal is brought to death, which I think we went through in the last book, and then brought back with Atlantean blood. And they are ravenous, sometimes for months afterwards. And she kind of thinks of her brother, for after he ascended, he didn't send her letters for months, at like, during that time. So she kind of wonders, like, it kind of makes her... Um, makes her stomach sink because she's like oh shit like maybe he actually was turned um a vampire is an ascended right yes yeah yeah sorry yeah it's just so many words for the same thing yeah the atlanteans call them vampires and they call themselves ascended because they are like we're ascended god's will um yeah He also tells her that, like, if an Ascended is not happy to feed on children, a lot of them, like, if after they wake up as Ascended and realize what's going on, not a lot, but I guess a few, just walk out when the sun is at its highest. And he says it's not fast death and it's not painless, but it will kill them because Ascendeds are hard to kill. Yeah. So... It's the quintessential vampire thing where you can't be out in the sun or you burn up, basically. Yeah. So she thinks, like, that sounds like something that Ian would do. And she then asks Castile if the mortals are aware of what's happening when they, like, become ascended. And he says it's a ceremony and some seem aware, but others are drunk. And some of them are completely drugged and he is sure they don't even know if they're in the world or not. So it's not ideal. No. So it obviously makes her wonder if her brother was drugged. Um, He does tell her like they would never turn her though. 
because it would taint her blood and they wouldn't be able to use her. Because her Atlantean blood would, I guess, be overruled. So Ian likely either doesn't have Atlantean blood or, like, he wasn't turned. Or yeah, he was turned and he doesn't have Atlantean blood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that kind of hits her because, like, she always thought that they were really brother and sister, obviously. Um, she thinks, like, is it actually him who has been writing to her all this time? And maybe it wasn't him who Castile's men have seen. Like, maybe he did kill himself and they're just trying to, like, keep up the facade that he's still alive. Um, so we don't really know. Yeah. So, obviously, she knows what they had planned for her to a point. Like, she would either be turning Ascended or keeping an Atlantean alive. And she asks Castile if he realized this when he came for her, uh, that she was part Atlantean. And he swears he had no idea until he tasted her blood. And he tells her he probably should have realized it when he heard about her power. But no Atlantean has had this type of power for hundreds of years. So he just, like it didn't come to his mind and she's still using her Hmm. gift. So she like feels like he's telling the truth. It's just convenient. Oh, I never, I knew about it, but I had no, I, I never put two and two together. Sure. Bye. Well, I believe him, but I'm also like, that's dumb. Um, she pulls her gift back from him, but it feels weird. She, she's like, really wants to use her power and she wants to take his pain away. Like, it seems like her power is developing and she wants to use it more. So it kind of reminds me of, um, Grisha in our last book of like having to use your power to feel strong and stuff. So I wonder if that kind of situation is going to happen with her, but we'll see. He then asks her like why she would go back to them. Why would she go to the capital knowing that they are going to use her? And you're just like, you're so dense. You're both one track minded Mm. about your brothers, but you can't like, he can't see that she feels the same way. (laughs) Like, it's so dumb. (sighs) So she does ask why she should stay and be turned over to them anyway. And he says, like, they're going to get married. He's not going to turn her over. And then he teases that, like, most girls would love to become a princess. And she gets super mad at him. And she, like, has the knife in her hand and she thinks about throwing it at him, but she stabs it into the table and ends up, like, bending the the handle of it. And he says that his mother is going to really like her. Aww. Which is sweet and just makes me think, like, he must have such a strong mother, which I love that. I love strong female char- characters. He does say they'll just talk in the morning and she'll find his reasoning impossible to refuse. And she says nothing is impossible. So he goes to get in bed and she's scandalized. And he says, like, it's either him or Kieran that are going to be sleeping in her bed. (laughs) And he says Kieran tends to change into a wolven and kicks in his sleep. So she's like, fine. I guess I'd rather you stay. (laughs) I don't know, man. Yeah. Can you, it'd be just like sleeping with a cute dog. Oh, it'd be so sweet. And cuddly and like furry. Like a little teddy bear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So he gets in bed and he tells her like he would never force himself on her. He's not that type of person, especially since it was done to him. And she asks what they did to him because he's basically implying that like the ascended sexually assaulted him or specifically the queen possibly is what I took from it. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't really want to talk about it right now and she can kind of understand that. She's like, fair enough. I'll let it go. Um, she kind of thinks she's actually more afraid that she'll want him too much. Not about him actually doing anything. Um, yeah. she's also not really used to ever sleeping with anybody because obviously she was the maiden for so long. Uh, he does tell her that if she wants, he'll put his lips, hands, fingers, or cock anywhere she wants. I'd be like, okay, right? sure. But she yeah. she's very adamant that they're never going to do anything like that again. She says it's impossible. And he says, you just said nothing's impossible. Ugh. So she gets in bed and she's all like huffy. But then she asks why he told her that Hawk is his middle name. And he says she had to know that not everything was a lie, which is sweet. But I'm also like... He doesn't antagonize her more than he probably needs to in some parts. I'm like, you're doing this on purpose to piss her off. Please stop. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, I just, I do, I agree. They need to be more, like, they just need to be more open with each other. Yes. Anyway. Um, so that night, she has a nightmare about the night her parents were killed. So we sort of get a little bit of a, uh, like a glimpse mm -hmm. into uh, what that night was like. And it actually does it, obviously it does it from her point of view, but her point of view as a small child. Yeah. So everything is sort of very simplistically like, I want mommy. I'm scared. The bad man is here. Mm -hmm. Like that. Yeah. So it, the nightmare, well, we start with the nightmare, like, half i'm gonna say like i don't know if it's halfway through the nightmare but it's halfway through the night right yeah so her mom is like pulling her along at the inn and she sees the innkeeper dead on the floor and it just says he doesn't look normal he like you know earlier he served us dinner and he looked happy and smiling and laughing and now he doesn't now he looks sunken and sad and something is wrong with his tummy. Yeah. So like, you know, it's written in how, a, like, I'm going to say a three or four year old would have interpreted the events. Yeah. Uh, so like she sees the innkeeper on the floor and her mother is like urging her to hurry. Like we have to go hide, hurry. And she's thinking that she wants her papa, but he had left when quote unquote, they arrived um and so like her mother hears like groaning and shouting so she ducks down bes beside something uh and then she empties out a cupboard for poppy to hide in and she keeps trying to put poppy in the cupboard and tells her she has to be quiet as a mouse uh but poppy obviously is scared and wants to stay with her mother and not be alone so like her mom is trying to like forcibly shove her in this cupboard and mm -hmm. she's, like, clinging on for dear life. It is so sad. It is. And, like, you're just like, get in the cupboard. Why are you doing this? Listen to your mother. Yeah. <laughs> but she's a 
fucking baby, obviously. I know. Um, so then they hear a howl, and the mother is even more insistent that Poppy hide. And then all of a sudden she hears a voice, like somebody talking. And her mother is ripped from her. And then she feels pain in her face. And then hands are grabbing at her that hurts. And she just, and she screams. And then she hears a voice again saying, what a pretty little flower. What a pretty poppy. Pick it and watch it bleed. Not so pretty any longer, poppy. So it's like a really creepy sort of like nursery rhyme sort of a thing. But this is sort of a clue in the, that night. Because obviously like, yeah, she's been telling everybody and everybody has known that her parents died in a craven attack. Cravens don't talk. True. So whoever was there that night taunting her is not a craven. Yeah. You got a point. (laughs) So, yeah. Anyway, so, like, obviously her hearing this little, like, nursery rhyme thing, that's what causes her to jolt awake and, like, she's freaking out. And that's when she realizes that, like, somebody's arms are around her and they're soothing her. Obviously, it's Castile because they're in bed together. And, like, (laughs) I know. She wants to pull away and put distance between them, but she said that, like, she's never had somebody comfort her after a nightmare before. Mm -hmm. Because, like, she's never shared, like, she's never shared a room with someone before, and, like, she hasn't felt comfortable enough to go to Tawny. She just felt like that would be taking a step that was not, like, wasn't, like, it wasn't appropriate for their relationship. Because, like, Tawny's basically forced to be her friend in her head. Yeah. Sad, too. Um... But yeah, so like, so yeah, so she'd never like had somebody comfort her and like cuddle with her. And he's like, he's like rubbing her arm and like, you know, sort of rocking with her and being like, you're okay. You're here. Like it's anyway. So she likes it. <laughs> uh, she does apologize for waking him up. Um, she's like super embarrassed and she thinks that he will think that she's weak for still having nightmares about it, like, so many years later. Mm-hmm. But he tells her that when he was young and left Atlantia and saw a craven for the first time, he had a nightmare about it for weeks after. Yeah. Um, so he was like, you know, don't, don't feel shame. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of, I guess he's, I don't know if he's trying to take her mind off it or if he's just trying, like, but essentially he says, like, sort of, you asked me earlier what they did to me. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, so he says that, like, they, obviously they tortured him. They would deprive him of blood until he was on the brink of death and couldn't heal. And that's when they branded him. Um, he also said that, like, when they would put the person he would feed from in with him like sometimes they would like let him feed slowly and then keep the person alive for a while until they were like not useful anymore and then they would 
either slowly kill them in front of him or, like, just snap their necks in front of him. Uh, and then sometimes he would be so rab, like, so hungry that he would, like, he would kill them accidentally as he's beating. Mm-hmm. And then the worst bit was, like, they would just leave the bodies there to pile up for days or weeks to rot. And, like, he would have nothing else to do but, like, stare at this body. And, obviously, he would feel guilty for, like, feeding from them and, and killing yeah. them. And, like, they, he said that, like, the bodies would literally pile up in his cell, I'm calling it. Yeah. Um, and then he also said that, like, they raped him. Now, he didn't use that word, but he said, like, guys, girls, like, they made his body do things that, against his will. Yeah. Um, and he said, like, he's been gone. He's been free for a hundred years. Like, it's been a while. Fifty years? hundred years? Something like that. Yeah, I think it, I think it was, like, fifty, because he had been captured for a hundred yeah and then they were like it's been 50 years but we think that there's no we think there's no saving your brother we're like why yeah why do we only think he's why do we think he's not gonna last as long (laughs) yeah uh so so yeah so he's like i don't want you to feel shame like i don't want you to ever think or be embarrassed or anything about having nightmares like it's completely fine and normal and she's like, this sucks for you. Like, you've been through so much shit. Like, how on earth do you get through, like, how have you gotten through what you've been through? Mm-hmm. And his honest answer was, like, thoughts of revenge. <laughs> yeah. And then he asks her, like, how have you gotten through it? Because you've been through shit, too. And, like, he's like, I don't understand how you are so fearless. Because, like, for most people, when they've been through what you've been through... They're scared of everything. And so then she answers and she's like, no, I refuse to be helpless ever again. So, I mean, they're both very strong people. Yeah. They're very strong characters. Uh, He then asks her about the nursery rhyme because she was saying it in her sleep. But she sort of is like, you know, I, I don't really know if that happened or not, because she's like, you know, dreams are weird, and sometimes a dream happens, and, you know, it could be based on something real, but it's not real. You know what I mean? Like, just because it's in a, re- a dream doesn't mean it actually happened, so she has no idea if this if this rhyme thing actually happened that night or not, or if like her just her subconscious like superimposed it yeah which i kind of like that they say that because i'm like it's true dreams aren't always it'd be a bit convenient if she's remembering exactly what happened you know so i do like that they are like it might not be and like she says too that she has no way of knowing obviously and she doesn't really like to dwell on it like maybe she could like, think back to that night and sort of try and decipher what actually happened and what didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't like to think about it. Obviously not. Sounds absolutely horrific. Both of her parents died. Like... Yeah. Traumatic overload. Yeah. Um, 
So, like, he sort of, you know, they're talking about, like, how, yeah, but the night your parents died, that's not the only, like, hardship that you faced. And this brings up the Duke and his lessons. Mm -hmm. And she's sort of like, how did you know about the lessons? Because I didn't, I didn't tell you. And he is like, listen, the Royal Guards don't, didn't respect him. So it was very easy to use, like, the smallest amount of compulsion to get one of the guards to tell me. And then he asked her, like, how often did the Duke give you those lessons? And, like, again, she doesn't really want to get into specifics and talk about it. And she just said that whenever it happened, whenever he was disappointed with her. And he often was. And Castile was like, he apologizes again because he didn't know Lord Mazine participated and said that if he had known that, he would have staked him to the wall too or hung him up. However, uh, the Duke was hung up. But Poppy is sort of glad that he didn't because she, like, obviously loved chopping his head off herself. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. So, like, obviously it's the middle of the night and he wants to go back to sleep, but she's sort of like, I can't usually go back to sleep after I have a nightmare. Uh, so, so he's like, you know, he's like, well, here, like, let me, let's snuggle and like, maybe a little help. So then she has a, they have a cute interaction where she tells him like, cause he's like clinging to her and like cuddling with her in a way that she's like, you remind me of a, they call it a tree bear. Mm -hmm. All I can think of is a koala. Yeah. Because they're real cute, but they're vicious. Yeah, sounds similar. Yeah, so to me, that's a koala. So she's like, you remind me of a tree bear. Because he's literally, like, clinging to her like she's a tree. Mm. And it's adorable. Uh, so they do fall back asleep. Which is crazy for her. Because she never gets to fall back asleep after a nightmare. Uh, the next day, she had been locked in her room, like, all day. Um... And she was obviously really annoyed with Castile about it, but, like, what does she expect? She literally tried to run away last night. Yeah. Um, Delano is standing guard, and she's, like, knocking on the door, like, let me out, let me out. And Delano's like, nope. And, like, she says that she's about to bang on the door, like, as hard as she can and scream so that everybody in the keep can hear her. Mm. And all of a sudden, he bursts, Delano bursts in and asks if she's okay. He was like, did you just scream? She's like, not externally. <laughs> like, I internally screamed. And she's like, wait, what? Yeah. He's like, it internally? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, sorry. It must have been the wind. <laughs> hmm. I kind of like him a lot. <laughs> I also really like him. Uh, so he leaves again and, like, locks the door behind him again. And she, like, rages around the room. She's like, let me out! And he's like, no, thank you. He's like, oh, that must have been the wind. Yeah. <laughs> I love him so much. It's, it's the wind. So dumb. Anyway, so yeah. So she essentially rages around the room until she falls asleep. <laughs> and when she wakes up, there's, like, a quilt on her. And Kieran is actually sitting in a chair watching her. And... <laughs> He says he's glad she's awake because he's bored. <laughs> I love him too. Uh, and he says, 
unlike Castile, he doesn't find watching her sleep fascinating. <laughs> and all I can think of is like Castile, Edward Cullen. Yeah. Like what? Oh my god. Right? He like he likes watching her sleep. Yeah. Blech. That was that's good. Blech. That's good. I like that. Good job. Uh and she's like, What are you doing here? Like she's sort of annoyed and he's like, Do you wanna go for dinner? Like you're allowed to come to the dining hall to eat. <laughs> and so she goes to like sort of fix herself up a little bit. And then we get a focus. And the rest of this like section focuses on eyes. So apparently her eyes are green, like her father's. But she says her mother's eyes were just brown. And she's noticed that most of the Atlantean eyes she's noticed are gold, some form of golden color. Yeah. So as they leave the room, she starts to ask him. And she peppers him with a bajillion questions. Mm -hmm. And it's actually something I really like about not just her character, but about their relationship. Like, she literally spends their entire relationship her with her asking questions yeah. and then him joking and being like do you have another question like seriously um but yeah so she asks him about eyes and asks like do all atlanteans have golden eyes and he says most of them do have a sh a, a shade of golden mm -hmm. but only elemental atlanteans have pure golden eyes and this is what brings us to our lesson on elemental Atlanteans. And we do need a lesson. I almost feel like I should be, like, taking notes as I'm reading this book well, we on are. the lessons. <laughs> we are, yeah. But, like, because it just, it, this is where I get, and maybe this is just, maybe my mind is just mush and I just can't <laughs> figure stuff out. I don't think your mind is mush. But, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, there's a lot... There's a lot that they're throwing at us, but I kind of wonder if like doing this and actually digging into stuff will make me understand it better than the first time I read and maybe just went to things. Maybe. So apparently elemental Atlanteans are not made by other Atlanteans. So can Atlanteans make Atlanteans? No. They can have babies. Yeah. But I think I think that I think the answer is no cuz like if they use their blood on anybody, they'll become ascended. Right. So I just don't want so that that was taken word for word from the book. Elemental Atlanteans are not made by other Atlanteans. Yes. Don't know. So so if that's the case, wouldn't all Atlanteans then not be made by other Atlanteans? So I think we kind of get it into it a bit, in a little bit, but elementals were created by the deities. So they don't yes, come from other, yeah, so they don't like, they're, they don't come from other Atlanteans. They come from the deities. But, but what does that mean? They don't come from other Atlanteans. Like they weren't born and then... They weren't born of other Atlanteans. They were born of, like, I almost assume a deity in Atlantean. Or, like, two deities had a baby and it was an elemental and they're not actually... Oh, okay. That's kind of what I, I am getting. Okay. But... Okay. Yeah. Um. 
Anyway, so, so yeah, so elemental Atlanteans are not made by other Atlanteans. They were made and descended by the deities. The deities are the children of the gods. And then she asks, and this was another bit that sort of confused me a bit, she asked if any of them are still in Atlantia. I'm taking that as deities? Yeah. Are any deities still in Atlantia? Yes. I think that's correct. Uh, And Kieran says no, because if they were, then Castile wouldn't be the prince. Yeah. And I think, like, she finds this part a bit confusing, too. Yeah. Which is understandable. <laughs> yeah. Um, and because apparently they would usurp any claim that Cass's family has to the throne. Yeah. So I um, I think she also, I think when she says that, she means, like, are any of the, like, descendants of the gods. Not just deities at all, but, like, him saying that, he means, like, anybody that has any of their blood. The gods' mm. blood. Yeah. So then, like, obviously, Castile is of the elemental line. So I guess his, I'm saying ancestors, but, like, they live for thousands of years. So it could go as far back as just grandparents yeah. uh, could have been elementals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she asks about the eyes again. And she's like, but listen, I remember both my parents. My dad's eyes were green. My mom's were just brown. Like, there's no golden if the thought was that one of my parents are Atlanteans, wouldn't one of them have gold, golden eyes? Mm-hmm. And Kieran sort of says, like, maybe your parents just weren't, like, full-blooded Atlantean. In other words, first-generation Atlantean is what they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, maybe they were second-generation, a.k.a. half-Atlantean or something like that. Yeah. Um, but then he says, like, maybe you're remembering it wrong. And she's like, no, I remember my parents' eyes. Yeah. Like, she's sort of a bit insulted. And he's like, well, then maybe they just weren't your birth parents. Hey. He's- <laughs> Which is, like, <laughs> it's definitely a bomb to drop. But at the same time, like, how has nobody thought of yeah. this? It's, I just don't think it's necessary to throw this at her at the moment. I'm like, leave her alone. She's, she's dealing with enough. Yeah. Um... Anyway, she asks if there are other bloodlines, because, like, the elemental bloodline is one, but, like, are there any other ones? And he says, yeah, like, there's a, there's a ton. Um, but, like, a lot of them died off during the war. Uh, but he said, like, changelings are a different bloodline, like, aka the Wolven. Mm -hmm. And there are other bloodlines of changelings that can change into other animals. So, like... This is just sort of where I get hung up. Like, it just is so much. Like, we've got gods, we've got deities, we've got Atlanteans, then we've got elemental Atlanteans, we've got changelings, and then we've got different forms of changelings. It just so much to the race, like, to the world, and I just, I feel like it needs a little bit more clarification. Yeah. And, like, this isn't, this isn't enough information for one person to understand anything. Like, this seems... Like, she has to be like, what the fuck are you talking about at some point? Because, like, there's just too much. It's too much information. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, so they're like, obviously they're walking down the hallways of the keep to get to the dining room as they're chatting and they run into Alistair, uh, and like, she charms him, like, she's outspoken, she's not afraid of, like, calling Castile out, and like, she makes Alistair laugh with her quote-unquote outspokenness. In other words, she's a human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, oh, she's a woman. Women are so it's outspokenness. Yeah. I know. Uh, they chat a bit about Poppy's past and like how upsetting. And Alistair's, oh, it must have been so upsetting for you to learn that everything you had growing up is a lie. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. She's like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and they call. Um, he's like a lie from the Blood Crown. Who? That's what they call the King and Queen of Solace. They call it the Blood Crown because obviously it's not valid. Yeah. Um. And then they chat a little bit more and she says, Kieran here doesn't seem to think that my parents are my birth parents because they sort of postulate that if one of her birth, if her parents were in fact her birth parents, if she is part Atlantean, that means they would have been part Atlantean. Like if they were close to the king and queen, like she said, Like, because in her mind, her mom was the queen's, like, one of the queen's ladies' maids or something. Yeah. Um, then, obviously, the queen would know and would use the mom as a blood bag. Yeah, if she was. the If she was part Atlantean. Yeah. So, he's like, yeah, so maybe it's not likely that they are your birth parents. Um... And he's like, you know, like, how are your parents? Like, are they still living in the capital? Like, can we ask them? And she's just like, my parents are dead. Yeah. Thanks. Like. Very dead. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I guess Kieran has sort of also during this entire, like, conversation, sort of like tried to shield Poppy from Alistair, mm-hmm. like, standing in front of her. Like, n- not allowing a super long, detailed conversation to take place. Like, he doesn't really want them interacting too much. Yeah. Um. So, he, like, says, okay, we gotta go, bye! And, like, pulls her along. And they get to the hall, and all of the bodies that have been hung on the wall are removed. Apparently, Castile took them down while she was escaping. <laughs> yeah. That's what he was doing. Uh, and Kieran says, like, he did it because, obviously, he cares what she thinks of him, and she doesn't realize how much sway and pull she actually has over him. And, again, we're getting, like, we're getting a little bit of insight, like, that everybody else, and by everybody, I mean Kieran, can see, like, that he has genuine feelings for her, and she's still like, no, I don't think that's true. Because he was like, you know, he cares what you think. And she's like, no, I don't think that's why he did it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, like, they sit and eat and talk about how all the people in the keep right now are going to travel to Atlantia soon because the Ascended are soon going to notice that she's not showing up. 
where she needs to show up. And when that happens, they're going to come looking at that keep. Yeah. It was a planned stop on their journey. Yeah. Um, and they don't want the people in the keep that are the loyalists. They don't want them hurt. So they chat a little bit more and she asks like a million questions and then she sort of remembers something and says that like before she was attacked, she was never called the maiden. Like it was only after she was attacked that they started calling her that. And maybe she's thinking maybe her parents realized what would happen to her if she was discovered being what she was. And maybe they weren't like retiring to the country the way they said they Mm -hmm. were. Maybe they were escaping. And she also knows that Alistair was instrumental in helping people escape. So she's wondering, like, maybe they tried to contact him. So, you know, that's a revelation, a revelation for her. Yeah. Uh, The eye color thing comes up again. And Kieran points out that, like, other bloodlines have different color eyes. Like, his eyes are not golden. So she's like, so he's like, don't get hung up on the golden eyes thing. Maybe you're just a bloodline that they thought died out during the war. Mm -hmm. Which is what Castile said. Yeah, that her powers, nobody's had them since whatever. Yeah, so essentially we're getting the same thing twice. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> um, and he mentions as well that, like, her abilities, her magic, it's they're too strong. The powers are too strong to be anything other than either first generation Atlantean or second generation Atlantean. So she either has to be full Atlantean or half Atlantean. Yeah. Otherwise, the powers wouldn't be strong enough for her to use them the way she does. But everything stops them because Castile comes in and she says he takes her breath away. No, like, how sweet. Like, she doesn't actually say that, but like, she's just like admiring him and like mm-hmm. how he didn't know they were in there, but like, as soon as he walks in, his eyes zero on her, and, like, their eyes lock. They're, like, and magnets. Yeah. So, like, she's thinking about, like, sexy times, mm-hmm. and, like, she's getting all hot and heavy, and Castile's looking at her, and he grins at her, and as if he knows what she's thinking. And then she asks Kieran, like, can he sense my feelings the way that I can? And He says, no, but Atlanteans like uh, Castile have, like, heightened senses. Like, they can see farther, they can hear a lot more, um, and they also have a heightened sense of smell. So they can smell illness, or the opposite of illness. When somebody is aroused. No. We love this. This is our favorite trope. I hate it so much. Yes, that that was sarcasm. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, then he also has to add in, like, by the way, my senses are even better than his. 
So that means not only can he smell her arousal right now, she thinks back to when they were in the camp, when they were camping out overnight on the road, and Castile, like, fingered her and gave her an orgasm, and she thought she was being quiet, and Kieran was, like, way down there. Didn't matter! He could still hear and smell everything that was happening. Anyway. The worst. Castile, yeah, comes straight for them and, like, gets in on this conversation. And they both embarrass her a whole bunch. And it's really funny. Um, and it gets, but it gets, like, from funny to serious really quickly. So, like, she tells him that she hates him and loathes him for kidnapping her. And for planning to ransom her. And for keeping her locked in her room all day. And, like, she's like... Same cage, different jailer, essentially. And he's like, yeah, but the difference is I'm doing this for your safety. Because you tried to run away and you could have died. Like, this is for your safety. And she's like, yeah, but you're only keeping me alive long enough to ransom me anyway. And you're going to give me to the Ascendant. So, like, how are you any better than the Ascendant? Yeah. And, well, actually, she says, you are no better than the Ascended, which is, like, heavy, like, they kill baby. <laughs> True. Yeah. So that's a heavy, heavy... Accusation to throw around. Yeah. Yes. So, like, obviously this makes him really sad. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I want to show you something. And she's like, well, I don't really want to go with you. And he was like, well, you kind of need to see what I'm going to show you. Yeah. Uh, so, like, on their walk, he tells her that he actually does find it distasteful to keep her locked up, but he doesn't want her to run away. Yeah. It's like, I'm so glad you find it distasteful. Yeah, really, though. Thanks. (laughs) Um, so they go, they keep their walking, and they actually walk outside and walk into the woods, uh, and he tells her that he had to talk to Mrs. Tuli, Tulis, whatever, hmm. um, and tell her what happened with her husband. She actually doesn't believe that her husband would participate in something like that. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but Castile still said, like, you know, you are permitted to stay. No one will harm you. Uh, if you choose not to stay, we can arrange transportation for you to somewhere else, like, you essentially saying like you still have our support yeah uh they reach a set of stairs that bring them to this like underground tunnel uh and when they go under there it's huge there are torches there are benches it's like the length of like a great hall and essentially it's a tomb carved into the walls are names and ages Some people have epithets under their names. Some have portraits carved into the wall. But all of them have dates of births and deaths over hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. And she says that she can tell by the dates that a lot of it line up with the rites. And, like, a lot of the names are small children and babies. Um... But some are, like, adult people who've been dissenters. Yeah. But she says others have no death dates. 
So those are the ones that they just believe are either dead or turned into craven. Yeah. Uh, there are also little, like, inserts into the walls. Like, little, I don't know what you call them, but, like, little holes in the walls. Um, little shelves, I guess. Yeah, for, like, flowers, jewelry, some wedding rings, and some teddy bears. Yeah. Which is, like... <laughs> yeah, so sad. Yeah. Um, and Castile tells her, like, this is just one cavern like this. There are many more around with not even a single space for one more name. And he says, like, even though he has taken so many lives, he has only done it in defense of his people. And, like, he's like, I'm not like the Ascended. Mm -hmm. So, like, what she said, like, really, really bothered him. Yeah. Uh, they stick around for a little bit so she can read, like, every... She tries to read every single name that she can. Like, she walks the entire length of that cavern to read all the names. And they walk back to the keep holding hands. Aww. And, like, she's like, I know I should pull away, but she likes it. So, she's like, I won't pull away because I like it. Yeah. Um, so, like, he's obviously... He flirts with her a bit and tells her she's beautiful and he's like, you know, you're you're pretty, but when you when you laugh, you like you are essentially like radiant. Yeah. And she sort of is like, I don't want you to say those things because like when you trade me, I'm going to die. So like, I don't want you to say things to like obviously not. Like, yeah. you why would you want to hear that from someone that is orchestrating your death? Yeah. Right? But he sort of says, like, this is why I want us to get married so badly. He says it's the only way that he can get what he wants and make sure Poppy stays alive and free. Interesting. Yes. This sort of perks her up. Like, free? Free? I don't know the word. Yeah. And, like, this is her big, her, you know, that's all she wants in life is to be free. So... Castile sort of tells her that, like, yes, Atlantia is doing well, but they are having a space crisis and a resource crisis. And some people that are living in Atlantia want an aggressive method to change their situation, a.k.a. they want a war with Solace. Yeah. He doesn't want that. Um, he tells her that when he brings her to Atlantia... It will put her in harm's way because so many of these other people will want revenge and she is just an, a symbol of the Ascended. So he thinks that marrying her will keep her safe because people won't dare try and kill his wife. Yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> Good point. Um, <laughs> he, he also said that like, so not only will it keep her safe, he also wants to use their marriage as a bartering tool. So, like, to show the people of Solace that the maiden who is chosen by the gods, that they've all said is chosen by the gods, has married an Atlantean prince and hasn't turned into a craven after the, the kiss of death. Yeah. Right? So, the thought is that the people would think that, obviously, the gods approved the match... So maybe the Atlanteans aren't as bad as they think. 
And if the Ascended turn their back on the Maiden, then he thinks that, like, the foundation will start to crack and their lies will start to show. And I just feel like he has a lot of faith in people as a, in general. Which is interesting because he shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I would not have this much faith in people. Yeah. Um, he says that, like, and especially his whole plan is very, I just don't think it's a good plan. No, it doesn't, doesn't really make sense. It's just like, no, how can I marry her and make it make okay. any sense at all? He's like, I'll just make yeah. up the reasoning for the end goal that I want. <laughs> yeah. So like, he also says that like, so we get married, then we can barter, aka like exchange uh for the return of his brother and they're gonna ask for all the territory south of the wastes so it's territory that solace doesn't really use Mm -hmm. so it allows atlantia to have some more space and land so that they can spread out a little bit and they'll get his brother back and what do the ascended get not war (laughs) That'll, that'll So, work. like, they're, it's, it's not even really a bartering system. It's more like an ultimatum. Yeah. So he says that, like, they'll ask for his brother, ask for territory, and if they say no, they're gonna face war. Like, they're just, this, Atlanteans will get ready for war. Yeah. And apparently they've been preparing and readying for that war for a super long time, and says that, like, even with the preparation Solace has done, there's no way they can win. And I'm, like, thinking to myself, this is cocky of you. You don't know that. You don't know for 100% sure that you will win a war. Yeah. Remember the Battle of Helm's Deep? (laughs) Just to bring it back. (laughs) The orcs had 10,000. And what? Helm's Deep had, like, 500. Yeah. Plus maybe a, a thousand elf soldiers and maybe like a thousand Rohirrim. Yeah, but they had the structure. Fine. Yes. But still, yes, yes, yes. Just... It's, yeah, it, they shouldn't have won in any way. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, he's just so supremely confident that he is going to win, and everything is hinging on that. And I feel like that's a mistake. Yeah. And then he's also saying, so, like, they're essentially going to say, hey, give me my brother, give us all this land, and we won't go to war, thinking that that's going to be enough. But then he also plans on definitely killing the king and queen. Yeah. And then he's going to tell all of the Ascended that they have to stop the rights and control their hunger and stop killing people. And no more turning people. Yeah. So, like, essentially he wants to upend the way of life, and he thinks that their marriage can convince the Ascended to do that. Yes. It's just not a good plan. It's not. And, like, you need firepower to make this happen. You know what I mean? Like, you need some way to control them. And how are you going to do that? Especially if you're going to keep your separate lands. But I guess, I guess if, like, 
if they tell the regular mortals what's actually happening, they'd have a bit of backup there, but, like, the Ascended can easily kill them. Like, they can find other ways to keep them in line. So, yeah, it is... It's not the smartest plan for someone who is bajillions of years old. I know he's not, but I don't remember exactly how old he is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, essentially he's saying, like, you either agree to our rules or we kill you. And he thinks that many Ascended will do this. Yeah. To stay alive. And he was like, they can control their hunger. A lot of them do. And a lot of them are old enough that they are able to. They just don't have to. Yeah. They've just been indulged. Right? Anyway. I think the whole plan is dumb. Yeah, it doesn't... It, there's not a lot of logic, I'll say. Like, he doesn't... He he also doesn't need Poppy to enact this exchange. I guess the only thing that she's helping with is that she's, like... Convincing the mortals. Yes, because she is God's blessed more so than any of the regular lords and ladies in their eyes. As the maiden, she's God's blessed. But so are the king and queen. So it's like, how... I don't know. The plan doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't at all. Anyway. So, she asks how this will let her, like, how is this going to free her? And he tells her that if she decides after everything has happened, after they're done and get everything going, if she decides to ask for a divorce, he will grant her one. So, that, that wording is very specific right if she wants a divorce he will let her have one interesting yeah and that sort of makes her sad because in her mind then the marriage isn't real yeah which makes sense i get what she's saying Like, she's like, oh, well, then we're not actually getting married for any other reason than to do this sort of plan. And then, you know, afterwards, we'll just divorce. So it's not a real marriage. And, like, that hurts her feelings. Like, she secretly wants it to be real. Um, So she asks what would happen if she said no. (laughs) And he tells her, like, he won't force her. Like, if she really doesn't want to marry him, she won't, he won't force her to marry him. But he will hide her away and try and rescue his brother in a different way. Yeah. So, like, he's sort of said, like, he, he sort of insinuates, like, he's, the ransom plan is gone. Yeah. Even if she doesn't marry him, he still won't ransom her. So, she uses her powers to read him, and she can see that he doesn't like the situation we're in. And... Like, she knows and understands it would be easier to ransom her. Yeah. But now that he knows her, he just can't do it. Yeah. And she tells him that she understands he would do anything to get his brother back. So she gets that, like, she's just a pawn in his game. Mm -hmm. But, like, she would also do anything to get her brother back. Does she actually say that to him at that point? Uh, something to the effect. Um, (laughs) yeah, I know. And she says that she will agree to his plan only if he promises to help her get to Ian. Yeah. So, like, 
there's not really a caveat on get to him in what state, but just get to him. Yeah. She needs to see for herself what he's turned into. Fair. And Castile agrees to that. He thinks that's fine. Uh, she also tells him, she was like, do the Atlanteans, like, do they, um, celebrate, like, do they honor engagements with jewelry, <laughs> like, with a ring? Yes. And he's like, yes. And then she tells him she wants a huge gaudy engagement ring that, like, enters the room before she does, <laughs> that, like, weighs down her hand. I, I love it. <laughs> I do, too. And he's like, yeah, it'll happen. Like, don't worry about it. And... This then, so, like, starts a brand new issue in her mind. She's, like, she doesn't know how she should act around him. Because, really, the only loving relationship she ever saw were her parents, and that was ages and ages ago. So she doesn't super remember. So, like, she doesn't really know how she should act with Castile in front of the others. And, I mean... All of us would just say, just act how you always have been acting. Yeah. He fell for you like that. But she doesn't realize that. So yeah. So I guess it's... Yeah. Um, so, I guess, like, I don't know if nighttime has happened. Sleep, maybe. Because Kieran then takes her for breakfast. Oh, it must. I don't... So, I guess some together, sleep has... but we didn't hear about it. Yeah. Interesting. So Kieran takes her for breakfast and Castile plans to announce their engagement that morning. Uh, And Poppy sort of realizes, because again, she's talking to Kieran about stuff, and she realizes that Castile and Kieran are bonded Mm -hmm. and they have like a real deep connection because Kieran knows things before Castile knows them about himself. Yeah. Um, And she sort of says like, I guess the issue is they have to convince people that their marriage is real. But Karen says, like, don't expect Alistair to believe it right now. Like, they want him to believe it, but he's not going to believe it right away. He's a smart man. Yeah. So they sit and chat. Um, So, like, Castile is there. Like, Alistair is there. Um, This guy, this... um, Atlantean, uh, Emil is there that, um, came with Alistair and is, like, hanging out with Alistair. So, they're all sitting, like, at the breakfast table together, and, um, they chat, Castile sort of chats a little bit. He's like, you know, she's, except she's, you know, she's agreed to marry me, and everyone's like, dude, we heard her say no, like, two nights ago. And he's like, well, I've done a really bad job at courting her properly. Don't say. (laughs) And, like, they sort of ask, like, okay, well, how did you two meet? And it just sort of, like, opens up this dialogue about the people of Solace. And the Atlanteans are actually very... How can I say this? They're, like... They're angry at the regular people in Solace for believing all of these lies that the Ascended have told them. Yeah. And somebody says it at the table, how, like, oh, they're so, like, they can't see what's right in front of them. And Poppy has to sort of, like, defend them and be like, they're not stupid. Like, they're not dumb people. But, like, 
they've literally been taught through generations and generations that the ascended are what stands between them and the craven and that like the right is an honor to like serve the gods and like she was like your gods are sleeping but you know they're there like how is it any different they have this faith that has been indoctrinated in them it's very cultish yeah right but like how can they expect them to believe any different you're not in a cult and realizing that it's a cult most of the times like yeah anyway so then she tells the group like because they're talking about how they met at the red pearl and she had to like sneak out and they're like why would you have to sneak out and she was like essentially i was kept in my room except to go to go to my lessons or go for like a specific walk and like the table was shocked they're like so you even had to eat your meals in your room and she was like pretty much and you know anyway so castile's like yep and then i found her at the red pearl and Alistair says, oh, it's all well and good that you found her, but do you really intend to keep her? And I'm thinking, yes, please. <laughs> right? Obviously, uh, he but that's to keep her. Yeah, like, ugh, Alistair. <laughs> anyway, so uh, that's where we stop this week. Yeah. Just with Alistair asking this open-ended question. <laughs> And I'm assuming next week we'll start up with uh, him giving his answer. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I'm liking where we're going. Yeah. I can't wait for us to get to the next location. I think, what's it called? Spez's End? Uh, something like that. Yes. So that's my, this is my favorite part of the whole book. So I don't remember enough of it. I'm excited. I remember a carriage scene. slightly misplaced carriage scene yeah anyway (laughs) yeah it's fine all good it's fine um so yeah that's us done for this week uh if you want to get in touch with us and share your thoughts on anything you heard in our episodes or if you have a book suggestion for us Please reach out by email at coffeeandcoread at gmail.com or you can go through Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at coffeeandcoread. Next week, it'll be week two of A Kingdom of Flesh and Fire, and we're going to be doing chapters 12 to 22. So make sure to follow along. And if you're enjoying our little chats, don't forget to follow, rate, and review wherever you find our content. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you on the next page.